Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Stovall, and today you're in for a real treat. We've got five special podcasts coming at you all at once. The following audio was recorded by discipleship.org at Exponential's World Conference in Orlando in March of 2022, where we gave five track sessions at the event. So in the next five episodes, you're going to be hearing from Bobby Harrington of discipleship.org, Harry Brown from New Generations, Dan Lights with Bonhoeffer Project, Jim Putman from Real Life Ministries, and Paul Hugebar of Renew.org. I want to give you a heads up. Some of this audio has some weird skips here and there, but I'm going to go ahead and share these sessions with you because I believe they'll be helpful for both understanding international disciple-making movements and also for how these principles can apply in your ministry and in your church. All right, everybody, enough of me talking. Let's jump in and hear the episode. You know, there aren't a lot of things that everybody agrees on these days, um, but one of the things that everybody agrees on is that the church in the United States is not in good shape. Now, the church around the world, south of the equator, in the Asian Crescent, is doing well, but in the United States, not doing well. I was reading um, just last night a headline of an article that said, American Evangelical Church is Dying. And then it said it's on the verge of extinction. Um, when Exponential a few years back did a survey, did research on American churches, they came to the conclusion that 84% of churches in America are either declining or plateaued. The latest research, I think it's Pew, tells us that Americans that America is now one of the top unchurched nations in the world. Belief in God, it's shown, is declining from generation to generation to generation. My grandparents' generation, 83% professed belief in God. Millennials, 43% of millennials say they either don't care about God, um, don't know about God, or don't believe that God exists. 43%. So um, we're talking about... um, Really, why, how, and why it's important to start churches Jesus' way. Tell me where y'all are from. Originally, Ohio. Uh, we live in Georgia now. Okay. And you, are, where are you in the planting process? Um, dreaming. Okay. All right. Well, I'm okay. That's good for me to know because some of the stuff we're going to talk about today um, is going to be really helpful. I should probably introduce myself a little bit. My name is Brett Andrews. Um, we play, we started a church in outside the Washington, Washington D.C. area. If you ever go to Dulles Airport, we're right by that. Um, in 1993, um, we started to be because we believe that God was calling us to be a church planting church. If you would have asked me how many churches would that be, I mean that was back in 1992 when we started. There were church planting wasn't like it is today, I would have thought if we can plant 10 churches in our lifetime, that would be great. If we'd be a part of 10 churches being planted, that would be great. Um, and, you know, the Bible says that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ever ask or imagine through his power that is at work within us. Um, I, one of the blessings that God has given us is he's put good people in our path through the years. And so as a result of that, we have been able to start 
we've been able to directly start about 300 churches. One of the organizations that we directly run that helps churches get started, I'm going to talk about it a little bit, is called Passion for Planting. Most of what we do is free. We try to do is we try to offer everything we can free online. In fact, I love it. Sometimes I, we've overheard other people who don't know who we are as people tell other people, you got to check out the Passion for Planting stuff because they give away all their stuff for free. Um, the stuff that we have to charge, we, we charge for, I'll talk, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but, um, and then Todd Wilson, who is the director of Exponential, is on our staff. Todd became, Todd was our executive pastor when he came out. Todd was, in, Todd was a nuclear engineer for the nuclear Navy. Um, came out of that to go on staff with us. After being on staff with us for a while, we released him to be our church planting missionary basically and so we've been part of the we've been part of exponential from the very beginning and candidly a whole bunch of people behind the scenes that are running this are new life people and what's anyway it was really cool a lot of them don't go to new life anymore they're in florida and ohio or not ohio and in tennessee and other places now but they're still part of church planting here anyway so um so that's our background and experience and commitment to church planting. And um, if God can do it through us, he can do it through anybody. So, um, but the latest research is showing us that um, the church in America is in bad shape, is what I was talking about. And COVID certainly has not helped things at all. Um, Add to that, the majority of Protestant churches last year led fewer than 10 people to Christ. The majority of Protestant churches in America last year had more months than converts. That's sobering to me. Add to that, Barnett tells us that one out of every 10 evangelical churchgoers has a biblical worldview. Um, that's sobering. I mean, when you go to church this Sunday, look at the nine people around, ten, nine other people around you and you or nine or some of the others are really in trouble. You know, it's kind of, but that's sobering when I'm preaching on Sunday morning to think if we have 100 people here, only 10 of them have a Christian worldview. The church isn't doing so well. On top of that, we have pastoral leadership problems. Bible colleges are graduating fewer pastors. Bible colleges are, have been shutting down. Um, and those in ministry are bailing out at unprecedented rates. The, the um, exodus from... The job market has also happened in the church. Got an email this past week, for, a couple weeks ago, from a friend who said, "I'm not sure if most of you have seen the Barner research from the latest from last the end of last year that said the 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 percentage of pastors who have thought about calling it quits over the last year. In January to, to, to 2021, that number was 29 percent, 30 percent, which is startling. By the end of the, by, by the end of the year, that number was. 38%, almost 40%. Can you imagine if 40% of the pastors who currently lead our nation's churches decided to walk out in 2022? So the church is declining. The church is not, the world's discipling people better than the church is because most people, nine out of 10, have a non biblical worldview. And pastors are discouraged and resigning at record, amount, record rates. And yet, my Bible says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the kingdom. What in the world 
is going on. Now, I know you're thinking, man, this is a, I'm really glad I came to this. It's no wonder there are four, four people here. Well, this is kind of encouragement. So people have raised the question, so what's the solution? What's the problem? Some of you say, well, the problem with church in America today is we have an image problem. The problem is that Christians aren't safe enough for the lost, that we're too associated with right-wing politics, that church people are too unkind and hypocritical. Um, <laughs> they've, they've done too poorly at shaming the, I read last night, shaming a generation of young women away from the church. The church hasn't dealt well with moral issues like homosexuality and social justice and climate change, some people will say. So the problem in the church is that there's an image problem. And there may be some truth to some of those things about the church being a safer place for people. Um, but I think, and this is not something you'll hear spoken at many conferences. Like, I, By the way, I say this as somebody who has been a board member of Exponential from the very beginning and is one of Todd Wilson's closest friends for decades. You will not hear somebody on stage at Exponential say, uh, the reason people hate the church is because when Christians smell like Jesus, they smell like refuse to the world. It's much cooler to say, if Christians were just different, the world would love us more. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's the whole picture. I do think that we can be safer, but I also think if we we forget that Jesus got crucified. <laughs> and so if we smell like Jesus, we shouldn't be surprised if we get treated like Jesus. So the whole problem is an image, is my point. Some would say, well, the problem is organizational. The problem is strategic. If we just had better strategies, again, and this is one of the things that you hear. I have um, a couple of friends who've led church planting and disciple-making network uh, multiplication <laughs> movements outside the United States. And they say the thing about the church in the United States is they think if they can get just get the right strategy, it's going to be plug and play. Just think about all the strategy, strategic changes that we've tried to make in the church since the 80s. I was just kind of wrote down a quick, there was seeker church, an attractional church, purpose-driven church, small group church, mega church, church planting, multi-site, missional, micro, level five. And there's good things to learn about all of them, but none of them is, the, well, I would say like this, is any of them, the, look at the world today. Is the church stronger? Are people, are more people being discipled? Are we having greater impact on our generation? Uh, some would say, well, the answer then is church planting. We need to plant more churches. That's the solution. Um, uh, Peter Wagner, back in the late 80s, had the classic line, and I believe it's true, there's no more effective means of reaching lost people in our generation than starting new churches. That's the reason I'm committed to starting new churches. It's not because I love new churches, it's because I love lost people. It's because we own the lostness, and if the best way to reach lost people is to start new churches, we want to start new churches. Well, Exponential is 18 years old. When New Life began, church planting was not a cottage industry. You couldn't have pulled together what we're pulling together here now. 18 years later, is the church in America having greater impact? We're having more church plants ever. Are people being discipled more? One out of nine still only has, one out of 10 only has a Christian worldview. So 
I think that church planting is part of the answer, but we're missing something out, something else. I, I, I was I'm moved by Jeremiah 6, 14. This says, they have treated my people's brokenness superficially, claiming peace, peace, when there is no peace. Um, the church is wounded, and I don't claim to have all of the answers, but I would like to stimulate us to some biblical thinking about, about what the answer could be, what I think is a missing core element, and that is power. Chinese minister, life-changing story for me, a Chinese minister, true story, came to the United States, a disciple-making minister, um, and he visited as many megachurches as he could in about a two-month period of time. Went to megachurch, 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 see what he could learn. On his way back to the airport, the minister who was hosting him asked him, what surprised you most about the church in America. What did you learn here that you didn't expect to see that surprised you most? He said, you know what surprised me most? How much they can accomplish without the power of God. Mm. Is that indicting? Um, We've planted a bunch of churches, and that's indicting for me because we've... Churches now know how to plant with good marketing and good organization and good ideas and good signage and good welcome and good worship and good whatever. And I've gone into a whole bunch of new churches and I've thought, where's the power? And if I'm honest, I've thought that about my own church that I lead many times. I've thought, Lord, where's the power? And so I've really wrestled the last 15 years with... How do we, Jesus said, I will build my church. Maybe the key isn't just organization and structure, although that can, that's helpful. It's better than being disorganized and having no structure. Maybe the key isn't just that we need to massage the edges and become more, uh, just become safer. It is amazing the people on the mission field who are just numbskulls who can lead people to Christ. Maybe what we need is power. So that's what I wanna talk about in our time together. How do we plant churches in the power of Christ? I don't think that this is being talked about enough or thought about or prayed about enough. Um, Basics to starting a healthy church. Everybody knows, if if you're asked a church planting organization, or church planting church, what do you need to plant a church? They could give you the top five pretty easily. They say, well, you need a person. You need the right person. You need a place. You need the right place. You need prayer. Everyone knows you need prayer. You need money. Can't start a church without money. Sorry, there's no P for that one. If somebody come come up with a P for money, principle, no. Um, And you need a plan, right? All of the, and I will tell you, I think one through four, we can do easily. Here's the first question. How do you do a plan that is blessed by the power of God? Um, Most churches, when they plant, um, are planning in a way that doesn't encourage or invite God's power. 
they plan in a way that I mean, if for most most churches are um, reinventing the wheel when they're getting planted, or they are looking at what the cool kids in church planting are doing this week and say, oh, attractional, isn't it? It must be missional. Oh, it, big, isn't it? It's micro. It's what, And so what do they do? They, we immediately start going to forms, and we think of the form. If we didn't just get the right form. Um, but, but I would ask the question, how does God build the church by his power? I don't, here's the most important principle that you can have in church planting. Okay, I'm not overstating. When I teach church planters, the most important thing you can learn is it's not your church, it's Jesus' church, and he builds the church. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. Psalm 27, Psalm 127, 1 and 2. I cannot tell you the amount of comfort and strength this has given me through the years. Those, when you start a church, sometimes New Life was 45 people the first three months. And my wife and I would get in the car after each service. And it's kind of, you feel like Sisyphus who's pushed the, pushed the boulder up to the top of the mountain. And now the Sunday service is over and the boulder's back to the bottom of the mountain. You gotta push it back to the top of the mountain again and you're not sure if you can do it, you're not sure. We would have half the new people, half, half of our people that would show up would be new people every week. And it's kind of like, you know what? If new people quit showing up, we're just back to our court. We're done. Lord, you better build this church. But anyway, Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, it's builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays alert in vain. In vain you get up early and stay up late, working hard, working hard to have enough food. Boy, that ought to be encouragement to church planters. You don't build the church, he does, and it doesn't matter how hard you work if he's not building it. And you can work really, really hard and not have any fruitfulness. Or you can work spiritually. You can do your planning and effort in a way that says Jesus builds your church and he provides the people and he provides the resources and he does things that we cannot do on our own. James 4, 6, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. I read that and I just wonder, could it be that part of the reason the church in the United States is less and less effective is because we're proud. And God resists the proud. What would it mean for us to humble ourselves in our planning processes so we're not trusting in our own strategies? Again, the church, there are multiplication movements happening south of the equator and in the, in the, in the Fertile Crescent, and they're happening through ordinary people who are not impressed with themselves through farmers, through uneducated people, through humble people. And if God is going to make a difference in the United States, it's not gonna be through people with, who have PhDs and people who have great gifted. There are not enough Todd Wilsons in the world for the world to be changed through Todd Wilsons. It has to be through ordinary, common people. And, that's, and that way God gives the glory.
Hello, Disciple Makers Podcast listeners. I want to invite you to the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee on October 5th and 6th. Jesus had a strategy, a plan, and a roadmap for making disciples. In other words, he was highly intentional. He guided, coached, and developed his disciples into full-on disciple makers. And by living out the Great Commission, they changed the entire world. We're constantly gaining new insight about intentional discipleship as we look closely at Jesus. And if we're thoughtful and prayerful, we can apply many of those same practices today. So head on over to discipleship.org to buy your tickets for the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. I look forward to seeing you there. So um, that all of that's to say, how do we plan in a way that is humble planning, not trusting in our strategies, not trusting in ourselves, but trusting in the Lord and letting him lead? Uh, John 10, 27. This is the second most important thing that you can know in church planting. Okay, if the first one is you just keep telling yourself, Jesus builds the church, Jesus builds the church. How does Jesus build the church? John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. How does Jesus build the church? I think that you need to read the books. I think that we need to learn from other people and be teachable, absolutely. And I'm, I'm not ex- suggesting that we should be disorganized and arrogant and not learn from the past. But it's the hard work of hearing the voice of the Good Shepherd and letting him lead us. Jesus wants to do a new thing in you. But that's really scary. It's a whole lot easier to look at what he's blessed, how he's blessed another farmer, and to say, I'm going to use their tools, I'm going to do what they did in their land, because look at the blessing that they had. If I can change the analogy... Um, one of the things, I love conferences like this. They're wonderful. One of the things I hate about them is they often, very often, Saul's armor is thrown out for everybody. And Saul says, here, look at the armor that I've won battles with. And you have Davids who try to put on Saul's armor and it doesn't work. And I've tried to wear, I've tried to wear Saul's armor enough and felt that burden and realized, you know what? God wants to do a new thing in us. We have to do the hard work of, Jesus, you are my good shepherd. You build the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against you and your power. What do you want us to do? How do you want to do a new thing through us in in your way here? By the way, the wonderful thing about that is, I, I love to remind church planters, God doesn't need us to plant his church, right? Why does he call us to church, church plant ultimately? Because that's the way that he draws us closer to him. That's the way he gets us to depend on him more and to trust in him more. And so if we're trusting our strategies and our own power and our own wisdom and our own ability to do stuff, then God says, fine, go do that. <laughs> I'm not going to bless it. I don't want to bless your rebellion. I want you to listen to me. And the end, I don't want, I don't want us to be narcissistic and say the end is just my relationship with God. But God's agenda is his relationship with you as his child. At the end of the day, when he sees you face to face, it's how do we get to walk together through this life? And we used it by planting the church. So it's a freeing thing. It's a wonderful thing for me to realize the most important attitude in the church, in my opinion, to church planting is 
Jesus builds the church. It is his church. It's not my church. And he builds the church by being my good shepherd. And I hear his voice and follow. Um, by the way, it's wonderfully freeing when we realize Jesus builds the church. It's hard. And here's, here's the challenge. Um, we own the church, but we never own the church. We own the responsibility of stewardship that God has given us, and yet we always hold it loosely because it's his church. You can tell the difference. I think that one of the one of the things God doesn't bless in churches is when people take leadership in the church and they feel like it's their church to do their way. We've all been part of those churches, right? It's like where people are like, well, no, we don't do things this way. You know, and it's like, why? Because it's about me, right? Because this is the way that makes sense to me. This is my, it's like, you know, it's not my church. What does Jesus want us to do and how do we figure out that? But anyway, here, so here are some of the blessings of, of that. First of all, if Jesus builds the church, that takes the pressure off. Um, if Jesus builds the church, then he's responsible for the outcome. If Jesus builds the church and you have recruitment problems with your children's volunteers, whose problem is the volunteers? I have a friend, I have a friend who you know, said his, his children's minister will come to him and say, um, I just can't get enough volunteers. And he'll say, okay, whose church is it? Your church or Jesus' church? Jesus' church. Okay, who are you talking to more about it? Jesus or people? Isn't that good? What about financial trouble? I can't, you know, you're going to have financial stresses in the church. So what are you going to do? If you think the church is your church or you depend on people in the church, the classic mistake that ministers make is they'll blame it on the people. You know why we have financial problems? Because these people aren't given enough. And you know what? They aren't given enough. It's true. Two per, most people give 2%. Most evangelicals give 2% if they give it all. But the problem is the people, you know, and if you put the pressure on the people, they're going to respond and not going to leave. On the other hand, you say, God, you have a finance problem in this church. How are you going to provide? Do you want us to be better stewards with what you've given us? Do you want us to do better at teaching people stewardship and, and discipling people? But the end is not to get more money out of them. The end is to help them to follow Jesus better. What do you want? God, Jesus, you have a problem with discipleship. It solves problems like COVID, if Jesus builds the church, do you think he knew COVID was coming before we did? If Jesus is building the church, then by the time we run into COVID, we ought to be able to look back and say, look how Jesus was preparing us for COVID, and we didn't even realize it until now. It drove me a little bit crazy. Okay, this is angry Brett. It's like, get off my lawn. Drove me a little bit crazy after COVID started, and all of a sudden, these helping organizations, and I know that most of them were probably well well um, motivated, but all of a sudden they're doing these online Zoom conferences for how to respond to COVID, what we should do now in COVID. And I'm thinking, how about like look to Jesus? How about what has Jesus already been doing? But if you're not follow, if you've not learned to follow Jesus, if you've not learned, and I'm not saying that I do it perfectly by any means, but it's why the most important thing is to say, Jesus, you build the church to have that relationship with him through prayer and fasting and listening to having mentors and all of those things. And then, um, and then when you get into the middle of COVID, it's like, oh, okay, Jesus, this is where we are. Now, what do you want us to do next? Um, so there you have it. 
Uh, one of the best stories to share that I can share with you right now. You know what? You know what Europe needs right now? Two million Ukrainian refugees flooding into Europe. It does not need a bunch of Christians who will just go over and give them food and clothing. It doesn't need a bunch of Christians who've read books on how to start churches. Do you remember when Barnabas went to Antioch? The church in Jerusalem sends, because they've been scattered, the Christians have been scattered by persecution. There are a bunch of, there are a bunch of Christians in Antioch. The disciples in Jerusalem send Barnabas to Antioch and basically say, go lead this church. I really wish it they, it, the Bible would tell us what Barnabas was told. We're not told what instructions Barnabas was given. I mean, you have like two stinking chapters on Paul's boat ride across, the, you know, in the third, in his, in his journey to Rome. You can't just give us a, like a couple of sentences on what Barnabas, you know what we need in Ukraine or in, in Europe? We need a bunch of Barnabases who will go with the gospel and reach those people who are hungry, who are more open to Christ than they've ever been before, right? Because when people are persecuted, when people suffer, they're more open to Christ. And there can be revival right now if people are listening to God's voice and following and trusting him. Okay, how's that for, for me preaching to you? But I just, I, I, I just, our confidence needs to be in Christ in that way. Let me share with you one more story that I hope will encourage and inspire you. Curtis Sargent, um, if y'all are familiar with the I Am Second videos, okay, Curtis Sargent was behind that. Um, he's, also, he's a disciple maker extraordinaire. He was working in the Yunnan conference, uh, province years ago and training disciple makers who might go out to make disciples and start churches. And um, at the end of it, the whole time together, they asked people what they were going to do, what actions they were going to take. And here's this man that came with them. And he said, and he was an unimpressive man. He was just a farmer, not well-educated. He said, I'm going to go start a church back in my hometown and reach my lost family. They said, how are you going to do that? He only had a couple of days training. He held his Bible. And he said, with, with the gospel of Christ in my hand and God's love for lost people in my heart and the power of the Holy Spirit within me, I have all I need to go start a church in that town to reach the people God wants me to reach. Um, that's how the gates of hell don't prevail against the kingdom. I'm really glad that you're here, Kenneth. You're encouraging me. So would you come like whenever I preach and speak just to encourage me? I, <laughs> um, but that's what it means for us to. So the question then, I know we're back to plan. How do you plan in a way that keeps all of that? It says, Jesus, you build the church. I want to hear your voice and follow. How do you plan that in a way that sets you up for God's blessing and God's power? Let me tell you the new life story. Um, and, and this is the bottom line for that. A wise plan gets you to ask questions so that every step along the way, you're not just coming up with your answers. You're saying, Jesus, what's your answer for this? 
when new life started, you know, remember Rumsfeld had that line about we have the known unknowns and then we have the unknown unknowns. When new life got started and in 1992 and I was working on developing the plan, I remember thinking um, there, there is, I don't know that I have all, I'm, I know I don't have all the right answers, but what really scares me is I know I don't even have all the right questions. There's all these unknown unknowns. So when New Life started our another church and Todd Wilson came on staff, Todd who's, who is lead, has led Exponential for the last 18 years and this is his last conference. Um, Todd said, who nuclear engineer, designed Los Angeles class submarines for the nuclear Navy, um, he, he sat down in my basement and said, okay, um, what was your plan to plant New Life? And I had a kind of a white um, board thing and, and, um, and, and sticky notes. My plan was, I had these little sticky notes. And it's like, I need to get this done and this done and this done and then a sticky note here with a date. And then I need to get this done and this done and this done and the sticky note with a date and a deadline. And the wonderful thing about sticky notes you don't meet that deadline, you just move the sticky note down to another, another place. And so I had this whole this sticky note thing, and I said, Todd, this is how we started the church. Um, somebody who refurbishes nuclear ships and builds nuclear submarines, not particularly impressed with that plan. And so for two days, we sat in my basement and said, what are all the questions that need to be asked to start a new church? And we came up with 513, I think, at the time. That expanded to 600 and some. Now that has been boiled down to like 400 and some in some categories. That is what passion for planting does. At the core of what we do at Passion for Planting is we help people walk through those questions. I'm not saying you have to use Passion for Planting. I will say there's no other organization that does this that offers this um, but what you need to do is find a process that asks the question that you know the questions to ask and you ask the questions and every step along the way you're saying okay jesus how would you do this okay jesus how are you providing for this now there are some things that we do in the plan for what it's worth that's just boilerplate that anybody like it's like legal stuff you know setting up your 501c3 or, or whatever that kind of thing okay but um um, but that's and that's and the reason that we've started 300 churches is we've walked churches through that and we have about an 85 percent success rate. I know. Um, a, anyway, I won't go into that anymore. So, what plan are you going to use that asks those questions? By the way, you can get all as much of our free stuff. We have a ton of free stuff online, and lots of people have used that all around the world. Um, but the default is. Um, God wants to do a new thing through you. Um, and if you don't ask those questions, God, what do you want to do? You will go back to either what is everybody, what are the cool kids doing right now? Or what have I seen in the past? Um, I, we want to be disciple-making churches that make disciples that make disciples to start churches that start churches. And I see churches that are now in pre-launch stage that are starting to do well in discipleship, and then they start focusing on being Sunday morning driven and, 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 and downplaying the discipleship stuff. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. 
why would you go back to that? You know, you're, anyway, I won't go into all that. But so, so that's the first thing. You have to have a plan that, um, that, that helps you every step of the way ask those questions in detail enough. So what plan are you going to do? The second thing I think we need is Jesus teaching. Um, if we're going to have Jesus' power, we need Jesus' teaching. Let's, let's, I think there may be no more neglected essential in starting healthy churches than this. Second Timothy 3, I'm going to read scriptures you already know. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Bible has given us everything that we need. I would make this application as well. Um, the people that I know who are, who, are, who are leading churches most effectively and even most creatively are in the book of Acts more than anybody else. Jeff Sundell is leading a group of, of um, disciple makers and church planters in places like India and Iran and Europe and Greece and uh, Lebanon or whatever. And, and, I, and he reads the book of Acts at least six times a year. And here's a guy who knows it. I mean, he's in, he knows how to plant, he knows how to disciple, and he just keeps going back to say, God, what are you saying through the book of Acts? It's right there. Second Peter chapter 1. God's divine power, divine power has given us everything that we need, is required for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And the next verse says that he has given us these things in his great and precious promises. How do we get God's divine power? It's already given, it's given by the knowledge of him applied in our lives and what we're doing. Why do we lack his power? Because we try to do it in our own knowledge. 1 Corinthians 2, 1, um, Paul says, when I came to you, I want, I want for you to imagine somebody writing this or saying this from a conference stage. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not, might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. Does that not describe what God wants to do in our churches today. Our church is based on God's human wisdom or God's power. Again, the danger of um, the, the danger of the church planting industry and the discipleship industry is that we can depend on the flesh so the flesh flourishes. So we do church things in fleshly power, depending on fleshly wisdom. Um, but we, we want to be dependent on the Spirit's power um, by being in alignment with Christ. Hi, it's Jason Henderson here as a sponsor from Renew.org. 
I wanted to invite you to not only attend Discipleship.org's National Disciple Making Forum, but come one day early for the Renew.org Network National Gathering. It's October 4th from 1230 to 830 p.m., so the afternoon and evening you can travel early that day. You'll get to hear from Paul Hugabart, Jim Putman, Shadonke Johnson, and other well-known disciple makers. They'll speak on our theme, Real Life Theology Conversations. That's the theology we need for real life and the relationships and conversations, the hard conversations that it takes in today's cultural reality to make disciples. There's special pricing available. You're going to want the best price to come to both Discipleship.org's National Disciple Making Forum as well as Renew.org's National Gathering. Go to renew.org forward slash events for that combo ticket. That's the best price to both events, the combo ticket. Again, that's R-E-N-E-W dot O-R-G forward slash events. Renew.org forward slash events. We'll see you there. Anybody expert in physics? Good. Okay, so I can fake it. Momentum equals mass times velocity. What you need in any movement is momentum. What you need in a church plant is momentum. It is a horrible thing when you don't have momentum. How do you get momentum? Momentum equals mass, but velocity is not just one thing. It's actually speed and direction. Okay? So if this is a mass, imagine this is a cart, and you have a horse that's going this direction and this direction and this direction and this direction, you have a whole lot of energy, but because you lack unity in direction, you lack, you lack um, momentum. What happens often in churches, how many churches are tired? You feel like you're doing so much, but you're not making progress. This is why the unity in the church matters. One reason the unity in the church matters so much. Because when there's... Um, actually, this is a great lesson. This is a great principle for a church planter. Um, um, when, you, when somebody joins your staff or your leadership, they, they lose their right to division. They have to say, I'm with you. Yes. You know, I'm, I'm unified. With you. I have your back. Okay, um, they can be, they can have criticisms, but they can't be critical. They can't have a critical spirit. At any rate, because when there's lack of unity of direction, it, there's lots of energy and no momentum. So what do we need? We need everything pulling in the right direction. Now, what happens when Jesus would pull us this direction, but our teaching pulls us this direction? You know, our teaching is not unified with Christ. So the reason teaching matters so much for the power of the church is because Jesus has given us his power by giving us his wisdom in dis- making disciples who make disciples and how to make disciples and, 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 and what to teach and what it means to be a disciple of Christ, if that matters. I said to, so, um, 18 years ago, Todd took over exponential, um, and about 15 years ago, I started to see some um, theological movement in the wrong direction among some evangelical churches. And I said to Todd, there's something worse than not... Because the emphasis of, of, of exponential has been 
multiplication of church plants. How do we get more church plants, more church plants, more church plants? So there's something worse than not starting more churches, and that's starting more churches that in 10 years from now or 20 years from now are teaching false doctrine, that are, that are, that are drifting away from the teachings of Jesus, and they're convincing people that they're Christians when they're not really Christians. They're teaching things that are out of alignment with Christ. So this is why it's so important for us to have, see, there used to be a time when it's like 30 years ago, you could say, we're going to start an evangelical church, and everybody knew what that meant. You don't know what that means anymore. Um, I'm going to say something that is probably going to get me in trouble with some people. Um, The woke movement of the last two years if you follow it to its logical conclusions where it's gone, the KKK and the extreme woke movement are in agreement on segregation. There, 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 they, there are some on the extreme left and the extreme right who would say, I mean, we need to have dormitories that are black dormitories alone. There is a playground in Colorado that had a night and it's like, Black people only. That's exactly what the KKK wanted. And that's, I mean, so if, <laughs> there's nobody more inclusive than Jesus. But Jesus wasn't woke like that. So what happens is people start drifting on things and we lack unity with Jesus. And Jesus is glad to say, I'm just not going to bless that. Or, and people end up um, going the wrong direction. So how does it happen? And I've seen it happen with young church planters too often where they once believed, a a good example of that is what do you believe about homosexuality? Um, The Bible has taught the same thing about homosexuality from the beginning of time. Um, For 2,000 years, the church has taught the same thing about homosexuality. But in the last eight years, because the nation has started to drift. And I'm not saying that we've always dealt with it perfectly or lovingly and appropriately. But the loving thing to teach somebody who is in sexual sin, whatever the sexual sin, is still repentance. Um, But what's happened is, what, what happens is that the younger generation is like, huh, Maybe I need to adjust what I believe, and, and, and the, da- the vulnerable people are church planters. Why? Because we want to reach lost people. And we don't want anything getting in the way of leading somebody to Christ. And, and so we start to fudge on some issues that are biblical, clear biblical issues. But we think, maybe if I change on this one, I can still I can reach more people for Christ. Okay, this is what happens. What time is it? How much time do I have? Six minutes? Okay, this is, this is why, part of why it matters. Um, Solomon Ash did a test, did an experiment years ago where he, um, uh, let me do it like this, where he had uh, a person in a room and then he would have stooges in the room uh, he had a, one person that he's testing, and then he, th- then he'd have th- people in the room who were a part of the deal, part of, part of the experiment. 
and let's say that one person in the room is being tested and, and the test was simply this. What line here is equal to this line? To, to, what line here is equal to this line? They would put five people in a room. You have four people say the wrong line. You get to the person who's being tested. And most likely if there's just four people or if there's two people, they'll trust, it, they'll trust their own judgment. Put 50 people in the room. Put 100 people in the room. And everybody is saying, oh, no, it's this line. 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 And what happens by the time you get back to the person who's being tested, they're saying, well, maybe my judgment's not right. Maybe I'm not seeing this correctly. I can't, I can't be the only one right while everybody else is wrong. And so they change what their eyes are actually saying the truth is because of the pressure of the room and what the whole room is saying. What has happened in American culture in the last eight years is, I mean, the Bible hasn't changed. <clears throat> But the culture has, and it gets harder and harder and harder for people to trust what the Bible says, what the Bible has historically, what Orthodox Christianity has historically taught. And so, um, yeah, C.S. Lewis, by the way, called this the, the fear of the inner ring, the terror of the inner ring, the inner circle. Um, Jonathan Haidt, in his book, The Righteous Mind, says the way we think, we imagine that people make decisions by taking a cold, calculated look at the facts, making an assess, a logical assessment and coming to a conclusion. He says, that's not it. Most people look at the people around them that they want to be associated with. They look at the people around them, and this is the, this is the fear of the inner ring that C.S. Lewis talked about. They look and say, what group of people am I afraid will reject me? What group of people don't I want to be rejected by? And they make their decisions about what they believe based on that. This is why, if we're going to, if we're go, if the church, if we're going to make disciples who make disciples that start churches that start churches, by the power of Christ, we need a plan that allows us to hear God's voice and follow, and then we need teachings that are biblical teachings that. Um, <laughs> That, that the church and the planter commit to. Now, what we are doing, we do this with Renew. We're, Renew is an organization that, um, that, that kind of, they, they have their basic doctrinal beliefs. And, and so we start churches with Passion for Planting that based on the teachings that we've come up with, the basic teachings of the, of, of the Bible, that we believe that will align us with Christ and allow us um, to allow Jesus to build the church that way. I'm not saying you have to choose ours, but I am saying if we're gonna, if your churches are gonna grow, we need to plant churches that are part of part of networks like that. For this reason, for us to keep these planters solid, let me, let me give you the problem statement. We've started a, we've started too many churches in the last 30 years. Independently, if the maybe your denominations don't have this problem, we're independent churches. But the planter gets the church started, and if the planter changes theology after five years, 
the church changes theology and it's no longer the kind of church that your people invested in to start. And it's, and even worse, it's not being blessed by the power of God. Um, the other thing that'll happen is you plant the church, um, you put a planter there and then the planter moves on in five years. Is that church still going to be teaching the doctrine that your people have invested, have stewarded, trusting that God will bless in that, with that? And so, and so what we do is we are, we are planting churches that are saying the church planter committed to this theology, teaching of Jesus, the church committed to this teaching. And then we have a network of people that not only is there a mutual accountability among the churches and a mutual encouragement among the church planters, but the church, like New Life, in leading the network of those churches that'll that'll get started, um, will then be constantly speaking into and teaching and and leading those groups. And when there are questions that they have, and we've helped more than one church planter through this, um, when there are questions, we're able to shepherd them through that. I don't know if y'all are, are y'all familiar with network church planting? Let me just do this really quickly. Um, <laughs> this is something that first Todd was talking about when he's an associate minister with us, and now bunches of churches do this. So what I mean by networks of churches is you pull together, how many churches, Pat? Four to five churches, and they each contribute. Let's say it costs $200,000 to start a church. Each of them gives how much, Pat, a year? 16000 What's that? 1667 See, part of the question to break the, to break the code in church planting is how do you get ordinary churches to, into church planting? Most churches say, I can't afford it. We, we would like to be a church planting church, but we can't afford it. A lot of churches can afford $16,000 a year. It, for $16,000 a year, they can be part of a team of churches that plants a church together, okay? And these people then become the, 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 the board, the eldership for this church for the first five years until the church is old enough, mature enough that they have their own eldership. So, well, guess what happens? Let's say this church and this church have planted before, but these churches haven't. Well, this church gets started then as a church planting church. And then these churches are like, okay, well, we want to be a part of this, and we want to be a part of this, and maybe this one will be a part of this. Um, and then this one will go off and find other churches, and maybe that church will start. And this is how, and, and then they will start a church together, put a group together, $16,000. And, and, and this becomes your network of churches and church planters. And that's how multiplication takes place. So, and, and because you're allowing ordinary churches to be part of the win. Hey, I just wanted to jump on here and say thank you so much for listening and to encourage you to go ahead and stick around and listen to the next episode that we recorded from the Exponential Conference from this year. I've got links in the show notes for both the Renew Gathering and the Discipleship.org forum so that you can get a head start on purchasing your tickets. And I look forward to seeing you at both events. All right, everybody, I hope that you enjoyed the episode and I hope you have a great day. Bye.